dangerous game and it's only jack has the perfect sleep schedule which is he's usually asleep yeah that's the best i mean the best thing <laughs> is to just never wake up it's it would never be a problem if you if you simply remained asleep it's when you wake up that all the problems occur like like too much sleep and lack of sleep you know exactly i never have problems when i'm asleep I mean, I have problems sometimes when I'm asleep and I'm having a particularly, um, you know, like based and red pilled dream, you know, and where you have oh. words <laughs> so based and so red pilled that you end up like, like you end up dying several times. Um, <laughs> and you're back what? again. Yeah, it's like it's one of those. It starts. They always start with. The streams, they always start in a place with a lot of familiar faces from the, from your past, you know, and, and you, and these familiar faces, um, they incite familiar, but long buried kind of longings. And then you pursue those longings and there's hope. There's always hope in the beginning of a bad dream. And at some point it turns dark um, because you realize that even in this paradise that you've recreated, or that you somehow magically return to um, the same fucking somehow that something else is going to go wrong. That's going to deprive you of reaching that, reaching that, that fucking destination. This in this, not in the same manner, but in, but with the same result as last time, it's not going to happen. And there will be, and, you know, par- this, this ain't Eden after all. So wake the fuck up bitch and smell the coffee that's the that's the moral of every dream isn't it what what was the last time you died in a dream i think i'm always dying in dreams i'm in bed i look horrible (laughs) i can turn it on if you're do you travel with your bed attached to you oh there you are well i just wanted to get a screenshot you know when when we're all three of us and then Uh, i can move on yeah i'll just i'll turn on i could sit up (laughs) uh no that's okay you can stay with how you are hold on I'm just convalescing really like glamorously. I just wanted to get a screenshot for, you know, the, the promo. Fu- yeah, the promo because everyone's uh, everyone's really excited about how uh, Salome is looking at the moment. Do you like Salome or Pariah? What am I supposed to call you? Salome is my real name. Hmm. 
I didn't know that you have a different name on each on each platform. I didn't know which one was real. <laughs> well, Pariah is not a name. Well, no, it's not. It's a it's a condition of being outcast in society while also being a doll. But still, that <laughs> you doesn't. Understand. Pre- you, yeah, you understand. But it doesn't that, do, that doesn't preclude people of of sexual experimentate of like gender experimentation from adopting such a name and you know. Oh, true, true. Around. You know, they'll, they'll pick a noun as a name. Right. So <laughs> pick- I guess I don't know why I think people would. Yeah, I guess people just include me with, you know, that group. Um, I don't want that far. No, no, but you're, you know, you're, you look, you look good. You're, you're sandbagging because you know clearly that you, you're in church. You've, you've, you're in church getup, and you just like have taken a slight nap in between gigs, <laughs> and you've, you're not at all disheveled or. Uh, no, I'm very transparently like asking you to say I look pretty. You look very pretty, <laughs> Pariah. No, you look like you know what I would say. You look like a doll. You look like a doll. You really do. No, you look, and you look very feminine. You look more feminine than most of the than most of the um what I what or I as I call them birth women who just like waddle around my neighborhood with their fucking schlubby boyfriend dogs. You look way more feminine than they do. Well, I want to talk to I want to talk about you a bit, but but in the course of the conversation, um, right. Um, since we're discussing the reverse, yeah, this we're discussing the reverse, and we're discussing like the re- but but the re- but we've we're discussing a reverse that kind of bounces back in the other way at the end. I don't know. Did you finish the book? Don't ask me that. Okay. Well, that was sorry about that. Well, I mean, it's a it's a harrowing <laughs> conclusion. I'm not trying to like shame you into having read, but. <laughs> Well, I was I wanted to see how long I would get through this podcast without it being revealed that I didn't technically finish the book. And we Jack's not even here yet. <laughs> no, so yeah. Wait, I think but, he's entering. There he is. Hey. Hey. Oh my gosh. Jack. How's it going? I'm gonna hi, gals. How's it going? <laughs> this is a special breakfast edition. I wanna I wanna <laughs> I'll turn off the cam. I mean, we can all turn off the cams, but I just want to get a screenshot, you know, of all three of us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm going to do that as we're as we're yeah posing right now. I'm going to do da 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 da. <laughs> um, I took one. I'll take another one. You know, all the fucking content. <laughs> Let me see if they look okay. Look skinny. <laughs> yeah, no, you. Oh, there's some, there's some good ones you here. You have to pick one. I look skinny. Okay. You, you're not. There's no other option. I don't know what you're talking about, honestly. Okay. Convalescing doll. I we are recording already because we've been gossiping um, before you got here, Jack. What but, were you gossiping about? Uh, about about like what, what Salome? How she looks right now, and like <laughs> how tired she is, and. <laughs> She always looks exactly the same, skinny and tired and, you know, model-like. Yeah, I was telling her she looks way more feminine than the birth women in my neighborhood who waddle around. She looks way more feminine than, you know, the the masculine longhouse women that run the world today. And furthermore, I would say that uh, uh, 
it, it you know, as I, I would say that if anyone is <clears throat> acting trans this morning, it's me because I didn't, I had my, I had my uh, alarm clock on uh, PM instead of AM. And that's why we had this little, um, this, this delay. Um, so we're having all kinds of like identity trade-offs, uh, which is mm -hmm. very fitting to the topic of, for, to the topic of this, uh, this special edition. Uh -huh. Um, all right. A filthy Armenian adventure. Yeah, it's a filthy Armenian adventure special edition. Uh, it's been a first one in in with one of these uh, with Jack since Ju the beginning of July. One, two, three, four months since we've had one of these. Um, no, well, I sessions. did your other show like a couple weeks ago. That's true. Though. That's true. You, <laughs> you, 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 like we, do we've had different universe? Yeah, different yeah. universes. <laughs> We meet in different universes. <laughs> I've been present in the universe. Yeah, you have. Uh, you did it for, um, yeah, we did Aaron Hernandez. Oh, fuck, the Aaron Hernandez. I was just thinking again about his man uh -huh. cave. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was really memorable. I'm glad I got the opportunity to uh, be cured by uh, be cured of my lust for that man. Because you his know? house was so ugly. <laughs> All it takes is one black. Okay, I'll, we can all turn off the cams. I don't want to force people to um, to be self-conscious. Salome, you can turn it off instead of pointing it at your ceiling. Well, I'm laying down, so it's, okay, it's no. just, I'm not. Self I'm definitely not self-conscious. I'd love for you to you know, see my face. I, well, it was yeah, clear. Wait, we're actually turning them off. Oh, we can turn them. We can leave them on. I don't care. All right, we'll leave them on. Um, no, well, I, I know you're not too self-conscious because literally every photo from the Devere ball was 70% you, um, <laughs> like there ha wasn't a single piece of, of, of evidence from that event that wasn't, that wasn't like a majority Salome, um, that I, that I particularly saw And the Devere ball for those who are listening was an event in New York of dubious origin, um, oh. regarding a debate over Shakespeare and who wrote his plays and it featured none other than jack mason who made his triumphant return to new york city as a star um yeah. <laughs> to discuss to, to to as a star to be to to share a bill with the with the one and only curtis yarvin moldbug um at a house at some kind of event and then everyone hung out salome made her it was like salome's introduction into society um <laughs> for the season and uh and everyone became fast friends in new york and it was this uh, four days of and then it ended up with jack on red scare like what happened what can we can we recount that event a little bit because i don't know if i've heard a recounting of that of that ep when you guys met for the first time it was just yes. a party i mean the devere stuff was just an excuse to throw a party exactly but like it was funny seeing all of that uh, be received on the internet and like in real time and like the way that unpopular people were like seething about it. It was just a party. Yeah. Like they yeah. were like just mad that like, like 25, nope. 30 people were like at a party. For a whole weekend, <laughs> which is not, doesn't happen anymore. Like people don't go, people have to pay like, Twelve thousand dollars to do some like fucking a fire island. What was it? Um, fire festival. This was like mm -hmm. fire. This was the fire festival. Devere Ball was the fire festival that was promised but never delivered. But for cool people, for like yeah, it was cool, cool also because there weren't like 
creepy right wing talking head 2016 people. I mean, I know Curtis does whatever he does, but uh, (laughs) he he makes so what does he do again? I I don't know. He's always anybody tells okay, he's nice and everything, but he's not. Um, I don't find him creepy in the way that I find him like the real stigmatized, like 2016, like uh, Chucky eyed conservatives that you see at those conventions. <laughs> I really don't like being around those folks. And everybody at the Devere Ball was basically on the, the same page and was like, uh, uh, cool and attractive and not crazy and white. Um, every single everyone there was no one that wasn't white it was so great <laughs> that's, that's every bad. single person and that's why it was so fun because there was no diversity <laughs> right and um, large percentage of gays um so it's good to have uh your white gays around but yeah there wasn't a single you know those those uh right-wing uh talking head conferences are full of affirmative action creeps because right-wingers are worse about affirmative action than even liberals. Um, But everybody was really concerned with, like, being white and having a good time. So it was a nice white gathering of white people. Were there any... Okay, but my question is, were there any MAGA dwarfs or people of (laughs) shape and size? No, there weren't any MAGA dwarfs. Girl, rewind. Yes, there was. Remember at the diner, the guy who bought my Uber and then well, there was that was like separate. Yeah, there was weird hangers on. Um, uh, I don't know. I I loved it because everybody treated me like a king, and I didn't have to do anything. I just like slept all day and then went to these parties. Um, didn't do any. Didn't make any New York plans whatsoever. Just sort of like walked around outside for a minute. Um, and then started getting drunk. Um, you were living a you you were living a Billy Joel song, just like uh-huh. your best Billy Joel song, or like Paul or like even a Paul Simon song. And that trip that was so fun to follow from afar with all the pictures and everybody cozying up. Many people whom I've come to know at this point, obviously, from my trips to New York in the last year. Um, but people also new people. Um, and I don't know. I had a I, I vicariously had a great time. <laughs> Um. Uh. While you guys, it was were... incredible. I was depressed the whole like for like two weeks when I came back because I was like, "Damn, like, you can't come down that hard. Just send me back to Texas to like do what? Like be sober or something? I like no, to, to, to tip your blue haired bar. You to tip your blue blue haired barista when she gives you a cold coffee yeah. at five fifteen yeah, I was p.m. Mad to come back. Yeah. I just I just want to be like spun out of my mind doing that all the time. It was a taste of paradise, literally. It's high. It's it, and liter- everybody's so young. Everybody that likes me is so young. Just like I'm sucking their blood like the adrenochrome, you know? Yes. And they're all like hey, in their Zoomers 20s. Love you. Yeah. It's Everybody's great. Well, like, because you're their father figure. Well, you're a father figure to Zoomers that they don't they never have. I'm a terrible know? influence. I mean, I don't think I am, but I feel like I'm supposed to say that I'm a terrible influence or something. No, you're a great influence because you because you you're the one who makes them. You're the one who you're one of your great um, effects on the world is that you uh, I'm trying to. This is an important point, so now I have to like get over my morning brain to formulate it properly but you 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 kind of teach people that it's okay to be you you kind of you you bring dignity to all the sins 
Like, I think this is what your Aww. like TPN does. You, you this, all the so-called, I mean, you know, I'm using the term objectively sins. Like you, you know how to bring a certain grace and dignity to them and make them seem like necessary parts of, of uh, a full and entire existence. And, and most of people, most people, I think their intellectual journey or their spiritual journey is this hopeless attempt at fleeing things that cannot be fled. And mm-hmm. therefore they end up just like running in completely wild, retarded directions, crashing into themselves um, until they realize that, no, what you need is an actual kind of harmony and synthesis of all the elements of being alive, which include being horny, being thirsty, being hungry, uh, uh, you know, all the things that are like all the honest desires. I just oh. feel like I'm normal and we're just <laughs> at an extremely repressed time where everybody feels obligated to lie about what they are. Yeah. And I just don't. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I, I feel like I'm totally everybody used to be like me like 10 years ago. Like, I'm sorry that I'm not made for this, this time of like ninnies and scolds. Sorry that I like sucking dick and doing drugs and like drinking and being around people like fucking shoot me. Yeah, I'm still, like, but you're not pretty but you're, nice. You, the fact that you like doing these things, but is is um, infectious because you teach other people how to also like doing those things and not be complete, not like beat gnash their teeth every time that they've every time they uh, uh, indulge in something and not be like. And not be, you know, people become bores because they they need to punish others for their own suffering, right? Like, I just think the dominant mode right now, everywhere, not just in like niche online trend circles, is just total repression and scolding, and it has been for so long. And the more I see the kind of like sober careerist blue check very concerned about their career and identity kind of a DC type person, the more it makes me want to be like a Courtney Love, like drunk (laughs) wreck in as many places as I can. I don't know. I feel like it's a necessary, the necessary rebellion right now. Well, I told you that I told you my necessary rebellion to live living in DC for nine months. Um, after I graduated college in the year 2007 to 2008, it's like a it's like a season, a sports season. My time in DC literally tracks like the basket, the NBA season. And um, I told you what my rebellion was, which was to to become a giant faggot. Like oh, there yeah, was became, that literally. That's what did it. It you literally did it, you sp- did it, right. That's what. You know. What you were not always a faggot. No, it's it. It was it He's started. He's Apollonian, and he chose it. I, it was the only thing. He wasn't was molested the, into it. No, I wasn't. I was. I mean, unless you consider living in D.C. being molested, which spiritually it was. Neither but, of us were molested. That's why we're so powerful. <laughs> Sorry if you were molested, Salome. No comment. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it is. It does. It does confer a certain special um, power not to be have been molested, but all, but then to have chosen this 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 deviant and in, entirely entirely like painful and brutal and dark yet yet weirdly powerful path. And for me, it was it was it was a rebellion against fucking. Whenever I hear DC, just the word the two letters D and C 
within close proximity, there's like a, a fucking horror soundtrack that goes off in my mind. That's how bad it was for me in DC. And it wasn't bad in the summer. It started in the summer. You go to in the summer, um, because I, I went there for a series of journalistic internships, right? Just as the journalism industry was completely imploding. And um, so I go in the summer. In the summer, you've got a lot of, you know, college kids on their internships. It's a very, it's a fun vibe. Uh, I, I had a, I've had a lot, I made a lot of like friends and stuff in the summer because we were all in our little programs, whatever. Then in the summer, when they all went away, and also the one woman I'd ever emotionally connected with ghosted me after a few uh, weeks. Ayn Rand. <laughs> Catholic. <laughs> yeah, Catholic, by the way. A Catholic woman, I should add. Um, go after, three, after connecting deeply one night, she, after a few weeks of, of Facebook chatter, ghosted me. Um, and any, everyone went away. And all that was left are the people that we, like the, the blue checks to use a mm. term before it became popular. Like all that was left in DC were the wonks, the journos, these one dimensional creatures. I had in, in, the, in the remaining nine months that I was there or whatever it was at that point, I made one genuine friend, I believe, in all that time in, in, in three internship spots um, uh, after the summer. And it was just the most, I mean, partly it's like, Partly it was being you're out of college, you have all these, you have an identity, you have, you know, similar to what it is now for me, you have all these like hopes and dreams, blah, blah, blah. And you, and you're in, you find yourself in a town where you literally don't matter. One, you, your body would be a new, like if they found your dead body, it would be like a groan and like to get it out of the way and throw it in the dumpster. So you under, you, you encounter the utter meaninglessness of your existence at the, at the age of 22. Boom, you're in a town where you see nothing that matters around you. You see nothing but idiots being idiots forever around you. And they're locked in their little single issue lives. You know, their little lawyerly, lobbyly, journalisty, think tanky, stupid little lives. Like completely uh like uninterested in any kind of surprising pleasure or joy or anything. There is a sense of like extremely dark um uh, pre like predatory gay energy as well, just because it yeah. seems predatory to you at, your, at the time. Like, you know, there's like some gay bars and stuff and just guys are like standing by against the wall. I mean, it sounds great the way I'm describing can, it now. You can see how uh, in that repressive environment, sexuality only like uh, manifests in these like Frank Booth outbursts, like the Clinton affair, where it's just like, just like this frantic angry surreptitious like masturbation with an intern or whatever that's like a just some quick little accident like it, it, it's you know. all that yeah it's all <laughs> it's all standing in the corner just like waiting to to drop a very um a very like uh, a brutal and quick and br a, a nasty brutish and short load like it's that and that's why i sense like everyone's gay in dc because everyone is just they don't they're not necessarily gay they're just closeted their souls are in the closet all of them whether they're gay or straight and so they will they'll probably you know their life is like dreaming for a weird truck stop encounter i feel all the time it's a fucking sick city it's the only city i've ever hated truly and i and i don't even hate it like it's fun to visit i don't know if you've been i mean it's a cute place on a, on a short stay it's fun it's like it, you know it's a charming city in no, a short i haven't stay. been my my like old like best 
friend uh, who got me into perfume uh, lives there now, but she kind of stopped talking to, she was one of the last ones that stopped talking to me after I made the show. So if you live in DC and I, and I know there are people we know that live in DC um, or, you know, around it, but if you live in DC and you're not born there and it's not like your, you know, childhood home and stuff, it's, you're going to turn you're not reliable. You're just not going to be reliable on anything. I don't think people should be in the closet. I think it's really creepy to be in the closet. And I think it's brave and beautiful to come out of the closet as gay. Well, amen, brother. The closet, this is something, I by the way, that... I think that, the, like, I can't, I wouldn't have to say this bravely if I wasn't constantly surrounded by, like, closeted individuals who all act like weird, like desiccated, like aristocrats, like they have to get an inheritance by pretending to be straight or something. <laughs> and I don't know, I just find it really frightening. And I think it would be brave of those people to come out of the closet. Not to mention any names, um, but uh, but uh, just in general, in the abstract, it would be brave of people to come <laughs> out of the closet. Say it, say it. I'm not. No, I'm talking no. in general. Just in general. I just think no we're names. in very gay negative times, and um, I'm sure. just like marching around with my pride flag, you know. <laughs> the the art right pride parade. The art right. Yeah, <laughs> gay hedonists of the art right unite. I think art right unite. The Javier Ball. That's when he, like Pedro started posting it. That's when they. That really set them off in a way. That's when they, the predictable people, started getting really worried about like uh, people who are like pro gay and also racist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we see the like co communists and uh, the weird house husband straight people right now, like turning into these weird like anti racist Democrats, like right around the election season, which is <laughs> yeah. really fucking funny. Like, no, it's it's a total coincidence that we're all doing a hard retcon against racism, like at the last week of October. Well, yeah, they're they're also um, the problem. You know, I think I think something that is overlooked in the conversations about racism. Um, are that it's anti-racism or f various versions of anti-racism, which is a fake thing, are really just a way of people who are unfunny to um, to claim a moral justification for being unfunny. Mm -hmm. Because if you're if you're a funny person, you see nothing. You've never seen anything wrong with racial humor, and you know instinctively that racial humor and, and racist jokes are ultimately a sign of a, har a harmonious and playful society that is not actually dangerously racist. And I've always said like that the opposite of racism is funny racism. It's not anti-racism, which doesn't exist and is stupid and, and is just a made up thing that a manipulation tool. So I think when you look at these people, whether they're right or left, the ones who aren't funny and have no sense of humor are going to gravitate toward, you know, shaming the ones who are by what any means necessary, including racist shaming, when that's convenient. When it's not, they'll 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 claim that you're not racist enough because you're actually being funny about it. You know, like like Pedro. That's the thing Pedro does yeah. all the time about every issue, and every Pedro clone does the same thing. Like, oh, these people, 
This, they think this is some kind of joke that my little child is turning trans right, right in front of me, right in front of my eyes in my oven. Ew. I'm putting my child in my oven to hide him from being trans, and I'm putting up the heat so that no, no trans person can enter his hand in there without getting burned. You my child is trans, and I love her. It's Salome. Salome is trans, yeah. All right. This is a good... Con- uh, stop stop yeah. speaking ill of my trans daughter. So this is a good... The, yeah, this is a good uh, transition into... Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good transition into the trans into the into the art of transition. Um, okay, I have gathered you here today <laughs> to discuss the uh, the work and and the very over overlooked, I would say, or underrated, simply because it's out of print right now. A work of one Nora Vincent. And Nora Vincent, the book. I had to be a PDF reader. Yeah, she had to be a PDF reader. Um, I had to get Jack a used copy from Amazon because there, I, there's no new copies. But it, but it, it oh looks like, like it's decent shape. I, yeah. I read my copy from two, when I when it came out. I got this book and read it um, in 2006. Um, oh, I read I saw it, it in the back of your car in Malibu. It reminds me of that day. Yes, yes. So this is a book written by Nora Vincent, who is a was a weekly columnist for the L.A. Times in the '90s, and also wrote for like the the, the Advocate and the Village Voice um, and other publications. She was sort of a rising, you know, star, lesbian libertarian type of voice. Uh, Camille Paglia was a supporter of hers. Camille Paglia has a blurb on the back of this book. <clears throat> Nora Vincent is a true free thinker and independent journalist in the European manner, challenging prevailing assumptions in academe, politics, and media. Her work has always had a bold skepticism and energy. She is a model of pragmatic, enlightened feminism. Um, so you get, she was, you know, in, in this class of uh, writer, uh, pundits or polemicists or, or kind of like, you know, intellectual journalists that I was obviously totally uh, immersed in when I in high school. Um, however, she had kind of gone off the radar by the time I became aware. Like it seemed like her LA Times career ended around the late nine, like around two thousand, right? As I kind of became aware, so I was aware of her existence, but all her columns were in the past, and she hadn't really, she, she wasn't really appearing anywhere, writing anything while I in those early two thousands. And it turns out it's because she was working on this book. And in the in, in this book, which is called Self-Made Man, One Woman's Journey into Manhood and Back Again. Going off of the idea of, of this book in the 60s where a white guy or a, or a black guy pretended to be white uh, for two years or the other way around. I forget which one. I think it was a... Uh, it was black like me. It was a white guy pretending to be black for to see what it was like, how the world would treat him. Uh, Nora Vincent, not transsexually, she's a lesbian, but not trans. Um, in fact, she's something of a turf. Uh, she <laughs> disguised herself as a, as a, as a man to investigate what it's like to be a man in various male, uh, dominated situations. Each chop, each chapter is a different kind of male environment. She did this for about two years until she reached a point of mental collapse at the horror of being a man. And more specifically, of being a man, a woman who is a man, and be, and therefore, uh, de- therefore detached from her own gender 
uh, identity for too long and too seriously and living this double life. And it's, if you get to the end of this book, at our conclusion, it will tell you a lot about the kind of shit we've been talking about in regarding to people living split personalities, online and offline, man and woman, uh, all kinds of split personalities where they have to be com two completely different people at the same time, and how inevitably that leads to a bad crash. Um, this book I read in 2006. It's a very it's written in a very easy to read journalistic st style, uh, but not stupid journalistic. In many ways, it made me feel like Nora Vincent is the last journalist because this is an act. This is like an actually journalistic, accessible exploration of a of a of something really serious, and she did a really good job. I mean, reading it now again for the second time, fifteen years later, and after a decade of gender, you know, like gender escapades on a on a on a society wide deranged scale. It's like it's really it's really sobering and it's really harrowing to see how it's kind of all there in this book. Like there's nothing there's nothing that time has disproven about her much more traditionally sensitive uh, investigation about the man woman divide. Um, so I highly recommend the book to everyone, and I wanted to talk about it with you guys because you know this. You know the exactly. I mean, I thought you would appreciate first of all the kinds of <laughs> the kinds of adventures she had into being a, into into the gender wars, and it's always interesting to me to like compare something from the very very recent past, which has been completely uh, you know whitewashed from or whatever, just just completely like deleted from the cultural memory, despite the fact that it caused quite a stir when it came out, because it would put a lot of people out of business to just read this book instead of deal, you know, talking endlessly about gender with people who, who are, who are dishonest. Um, so another reason why I, the reason why I even thought of this book now is that just a few months ago, no, in August, in August, I found the news online that Nora Vincent at the age of 53, had committed suicide by assisted suicide in Canada. Um, and that was very sad for me because the reason she wrote this book and the reason I, she had kind of taken a hiatus in the 2000s when I became aware of her is that as she, as she describes early on here, she became, um, she, she basically hit the wall on punditry and she felt it was a false debt. It was a debt, spiritual, moral, uh, any and creative dead end to we to churn out takes every single week, um, and this is something I relate to deeply because, uh, as we know from my storyline, like I had the same sort of confrontation very early on, uh, like in basically in the middle of college about this whole world of discourse where which as which as we see now goes in circles and circles and circles until there's nothing left and people are just churning out basically panics instead of even takes. Um, and she really like she had a real problem with that. And it caused her to retire from being a columnist and become an author more like she is here. Um, and after this book, because this because this this investigation drove her into madness, basically, she ended up checking herself into a, 
uh, clinics to avoid suicide. And she ended up writing her next book called Voluntary Madness about being in these like, you know, depressive uh, clinics and what it's like and everything. like. That's why I thought of her. I remembered this book and I thought you, you'd be very interested to read it. And my guests to introduce them for the first time three hours into the show are, of course, my good friend Jack Mason, the Perfume Nationalist uh, of, of the Perfume Nationalist podcast. Brett Easton Ellis's sofa in his West Hollywood apartment is still warm with the ass marks of Jack Mason. So Jack made his grand debut in L.A. for the first time on Lay the Brett Easton Ellis show. Her. Welcome well, to you. Jack. Thank you for having me back again. It's always a pleasure. And Tor. And for, did you say tour or whore? Tor. Tor. Yeah. He tore he tore mm. in LA. I'd love to talk to about talk about LA, by the way, but we can do that later. Um I know my second guest is someone I'm meeting for the very first time. And uh, you know, I wanted to kind of like I wanted to kind of unmask her a little bit eventually. <laughs> because I don't really know who she is, but her name <laughs> is Salome. Um, Zalome, it's the voice does. Salome? Zalome. Oh, Zalome, okay. It's spelled with an S, yes, but like, it's Zalome, okay. Yeah, it's a voice, it's voice, yeah. Zoolander. Uh, Zalome is a la- is a uh, woman who, with a twist, <laughs> Wait, what were what were were you what were you gonna say? No, say I'm just gonna say that you're a woman who you're a woman with a twist because you used to be you were born a man, right? Yeah. Well, I was born a a baby. You were um, born as a baby, and that was a that was considered by society to be considered by society to be a man, right? Well, a man is like an adult male, so no. You weren't. You were born as like a just a. You were just a boy. Yeah, I feel You're like just that, a child. Like that's what I feel like yeah. some people. No, but I feel like some people are born already smoking martini, smoking cigarettes, and drinking martinis straight out of the womb, and they just skip the whole. I'm still, I'm still not there yet. I'm waiting. So, Salome, <laughs> I have summoned you here, knowing full well you were not going to read the book, but <laughs> which, nevertheless, nevertheless, um, I thought you'd be a useful, you'd be a very useful. Um, <laughs> partner in this particular discussion because you do well i mean i'm just going off the i'm just going off the stats like the stats tell me the odds of you having read the book are slim and that's okay it doesn't matter because i've read it twice so you read it for both of us perfect yeah i read it for both of us um (laughs) so salome what's what's your deal what like you had no, you had no, you were, you had, you were kind of a, an account that has exploded over the last few months because you, you manifested to fill a role that had been um, mockingly <laughs> referred to for a while as the cool trans friend. And now you are everyone's cool trans friend. How does that feel? Uh, it feels great. I think yeah. It Does it great. feel great, or do you feel pressure? Do you feel this pressure upon your shoulders to to play a role that is ultimately, uh, you know, a role? I feel like everyone's playing a role. Like who isn't? I don't really know who isn't playing a role. Um, I think the uh, mm, I don't know. 
I don't mean to get too I don't mean to get too deep too fast. I was just I was just wondering how you kind of all right. Well, I mean, let's put it this way: how do you how do you how did you find your way into like what is my what 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 do you think my deal is? How did you find your way to my deal, and what is your perception of the world in which you now uh, digitally (laughs) inhabit? I have literally no idea. Like I have no clue. I don't even. um, I've been on Twitter for years. I've been banned a bunch of times for saying bad things about people. Um, and for whatever reason, I've, I've been, tw- I swear I've been tweeting the same way since I was like 15 years old. Um, but I think I'm just hotter now. So people like pay more attention to the evil things that I say. And like before they didn't really care. Um, and um. I You're don't also know. Just it's just fun. Ah, you're fun. Thank fun. you. <laughs> thank you. Um, I think. Um, I'm really tired. What was I gonna say? Um, I sort. I sort of just use Twitter as if it's a journal, and it. But it makes pe- my journal makes people really, really mad for some reason. And I'm just. It's. I have a really bad memory, so it's like if I don't say something, it's gone. So I have to, I just have to say it and then people respond to it. Um, but, um, I don't know. All right. But you've, you've gravitated to people like Jack, me, you get, you had your, your fame began on, as with your appearance on Zach Langley, Chi Chi's I'm so popular podcast. Yeah. Not that long ago. Yep. You gone from, yes, yeah, you had like 70 followers when you appeared on that show and now, <laughs> you're you're skyrocketing ever since and it's only been a few months um and so clearly you have a i mean you know you grotesquely simped for all the catholic dads through june in a manner that was that you know was uh, was kind of like shocking to witness um over and over but so i mean you have a there's certain they like welcomed it right oh yeah they loved it because they're such fucking horny little they're such horny yeah they they were okay with that they're like we were were the bad uh, ones but they were okay with her well, they're they okay. love a pretty boy. They love a pretty boy. They love a Michael Jackson. They love they a hate they men. Love a, yeah, they love an altar boy. And you are an altar boy. No, I'm lit. I literally had an audition to sing in a church today. That's why I was late. Yeah. Now the problem That's is you have to constantly pretend that you're no older than 14 years old to appeal to the Catholic dads, and that I feel is creating another rift in your reality a little bit, perhaps because you're not necessarily 14 years old. what my voice is (laughs) right okay so you have to like yeah you have to like cultivate it it still won't it still won't drop so you know i'm 14 (laughs) not per not salome entering her baritone era when she's 50 um shoot myself i would literally kill myself no, don't talk about killing yourself because uh, we we there's too many there's too much of that talk already i'm legit i'm legit concerned with Gen Xers right now, um, you know, we make fun of them a lot, but after perceiving after, well, after learning of this news about Nora Vincent, Gen Xer, after hearing Scott mm-hmm. Adams yesterday talk about how he's basically, he's in suicide mode right now. If things Sorry. Don't change. Oh, no. I mean, you have the key in the door. oh my gosh. Hold on guys. I'm so sorry. No worries. 
I'm uh, all of these assisted suicide deaths are really oh, creeping like, me out. They're truly creeping. Julie Cruz was another up. one. Like how it happens, and then they don't report it for like a couple months. This happened in July, and it wasn't reported until late August. Nora's. I I don't know. Like I don't. How do you feel about assisted suicide? I I am of I am uh, of two minds about it. Because logically, I think most of us logically are like, yeah, we should have the right to, you know, end it as we wish. Uh, You know, there's a famous Armenian (laughs) named Jack Kevorkian who dedicated his life (laughs) to this cause. But, you know, he's not somebody I'm impressed with or anything. He, He seems kind of like a dope. But he did believe in it i mean he he space literally sacrificed scared to have it as an option yeah it seems like that, well, what that's if i'm in thing. a bad mood yeah and there's just like a clinic that's like kind of like a, a weed shop but instead it's for suicide it's like really kind of like cute inside like and thinking you- about like how much you have to pay for an assist how much do you have to pay for that shit i mean i don't know i I've, don't know that the option should be available to me i'm kind of glad well, yeah, we're I don't talking know. about sorry. We're, we're talking, talking about, about assisted suicide. suicide. We're talking about assisted suicide. I think it's so evil. And I'm I'm sad that she did it. And people only found out a month after it happened. It happened in July. Yeah, I and know. And then the news broke in August. And the and reasoning that- is always so just like all these people who do it, it's always like she was battling mental demons. And it's like, I don't We all are. Aren't we I am. All- Everybody's just battling so many demons. They have to go into the suicide pod in Canada. Okay. Uh-huh. Girl, I, would do, I would have already done it if I had the option. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I'm for, I don't know if I'm for it either, but on the other hand, you know, there are people who are in physical. I, I understand people who are in like debilitating physical pain with no hope of ever, or at least no like present hope of coming out of it. I can understand their desire to want to do it. I mean, physical pain is physical pain. Um, and I, God forbid I reach the point where I dread being awake, you know, because of, or because of just the, the amount of pain. But if it's anything other than that, and if it's purely mental pain, which is even worse, it's still like, it rubs me the wrong way every time I hear about it, because I, it's really scary. It's scary because there's no, there's, there's, it's scary because like, there's no world in which, in which such pain doesn't exist. And it seems like, it seems like there's always going to be this battle that one has to make to find, Ibsen called it vital lies, whatever you want to call it but to find a set of illusions that make life worth living. Um, and what every, every you have so to be delusional. I don't know if you have to be delusional, but to say yeah, some degree, you have to be delusional, I guess. Yeah. But you have to be, there's delusional and then there's just illusional, I think. And they're kind of different because delusion is delusion is you're, you're deceiving yourself, but illusion is simply, I is more like belief, which I don't think is a self-deception. I think that if you believe things that that you you can like actually make them happen a little bit. Um, for example, I mean, you know, I mean, really love and 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 all the like, creation, all these things that matter to you, like oh, the having a mission in life, having a short term mission, long term mission, whatever it is, like having a dream to realize, uh, 
all of it is fictional, ultimately. All of it is just in your own head and in whatever kind of world you've created. I mean, what's TPN? What's the un- TPN universe? It didn't five years ago. It it would have sounded absurd for you for Jack to narrate what's happened to him in the last eight months, like the idea that he's going to go around to Chicago, New York, L.A. Uh, meet like a like like a, a like a swar- a swarm of adoring friends and fans in these places who have gravitated to him because of his uh, a procl- uh, because of his proclamations about perfume and long novels. Like if you were to just describe this to someone in the year 2017, whenever, before you mm-hmm. started, you would sound like you're fucking smoking something that hasn't even been available in China in a while. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here we yeah, are. I mean, uh, anybody who's been along for the whole ride knows how unlikely it is. Um, but yeah, every single thing that I've uh, done with TPN, uh, people have told me it was a bad idea and <laughs> I only listened to myself and it's all worked out. So none of it, don't listen to anyone. Um, be, in, uh, be your own Howard Rourke. And um, uh, I guess maybe if you're like low talent and kind of boring, maybe you should listen to other people. But uh, <laughs> if you have the vision, um, then don't listen to anyone um, and like have some balls. <laughs> Um, ah! yeah, it's, it's extremely unlikely. Um, I also think it's really creepy how all these assisted death celebrity suicides, they're really young. They're like 55 through 60. And we're just going to be seeing more of this, like, um, uh, normalized, uh, sort of. I'm really, yeah, I'm saying Gen X is fucked. I mean, people talk about millennials and people talk about Zoomers, but I am legit worried about Gen X Gen X X are really not equipped to deal with the world because they're uniquely spoiled. And, like, I hate doing, like, generational hatred, but Gen X are really fucking lucky. Like, they got to live, like, basically be a little, like, uh addendum to like the what the boomers got to live they got their little bart simpson twisted suburbia you know they got all of that and they're not equipped to deal with the changing landscape of the current dystopia like they don't understand race they don't understand (laughs) political parties they they uh have this horrible like kind of punk ethos that they revert to like gavin mcginnis god bless him i love him but because he's of a certain age he talks constantly about his past as a punk as if this matters so much yeah they all do this they're all like of a certain age so like well when i was in my 20s my diverse group of punk friends we when i hear the word punk some beers and yeah <laughs> when i Jesus. hear the word punk i'm fucking i'm i'm like complete i've always i mean partly cuz i never was into punk and i literally Patty still Smith is the only good punk thing and they all hate her Patty Smith is great what i so something that you realize at a certain point in life is that like you realize oh this isn't actually reality this is just the bullshit that the old people around you were kind of addicted to and like the kind of disc discourse cycle it's it's all discourse cycle when it comes to something like the music opinions you grew up around the movie opinions you grew up around it, reinforced by journalism reinforced by the blogs and the, the all the shit you read 
when you were first like becoming aware of things and something that we've seen from Gen X and man, like fucking anytime Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino, whom I love, of course, Angel, but like when you hear him and like Brett talking about Brett has this too. Brett has this too. There is this, there is this like cycle of loving something, immediately resenting that you loved it, immediately questioning it, that it's value. And then kind of like, kind of like black pilling yourself about literally every single thing, which seems to be a Gen X habit. They seem to be incapable of committing themselves to a single fucking belief or thing or creation or vision they get they sour on everything the moment it sells out or whatever like they find a million excuses to 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 bail is like it seems like a generation they they form these opinions like in the like 80s or 90s that they think are still like relevant or applicable like yeah like they think that it's like you know a brave undertaking to say that you don't like Pasolini or like Bergman or like one of these or vertigo or or vertigo like they think that that still means what it used to mean in their little film circles it's like no dude you don't understand there's no film culture people who think of themselves as cinephiles right now have never seen a movie before 1970 usually more like 1980 and they only talk about horror movies there's no like establishment propped up anymore telling you that you have to watch vertigo and like persona so you're fighting a battle that's 30 years old and totally irrelevant the problem with gen x is they're fighting they're constantly fighting battles with their parents who they don't realize are dead or dying and And boomers are so superior in in as as like just spiritual beings to Gen X. I mean, my I mean, like you just all you have to do is just see the the aura of a boomer. As much as you may hate what boomers have done to the world, blah, 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 whatever politically, if, if you just see how a boomer lives, a boomer is far more adjusted, far warmer, uh, far far closer to life um, than than Gen Xers and. Um, Gen Xers are just, they haven't been able. Yeah, as you said, it's the Bart Simpson twisted suburbia. They all think they're Bart Simpson on a skateboard. Yeah. Except they hate their parents. They don't love, like, Homer and Marge. Like No, they, they don't. No, they do. They're, like, 55 years old, slumped shoulders, wearing a COVID mask and a black flag shirt, uh, hating their parents because they had the last tiny taste of a father who exerted any rules whatsoever. So their father told them, oh, when are you going to have kids? Like one time in 1996. (laughs) My father had these. Uh, My father just told me like three weeks ago. Yeah. My father had these horrible expectations and I just don't want to force those on the next generation. You spoiled fucking Gen Xers. They're all fucking like this. Yeah. It's, I don't know how they got, I mean, I guess it's an indictment on the boomers that they, that they created such things, but. And so uh, they're susceptible to all liberal propaganda because of it, because it's all about how they have to defy daddy, which they still think is a Republican televangelist, you know, twisted Tim Burton televangelist with some imaginary cultural power. Okay. Um, But regarding the book. Um, you said this has been memory hold. So much of 2000s mm-hmm. culture 
uh, has been memory hold recently. And I've been noticing this with a lot of the movies that like define that generation. Nobody cares about them or they're kind of like dismissed or mocked. And I think this is because the 2000s uh, represent um, such an advanced time because they were right before we went back to the dark ages via Barack Hussein Obama and woke liberalism where everything was regressed. Racism was reinvented. Um, we had just had, you know, massive victories finally for gay rights and gayness was, was accepted and, you know, like a, a palatable kind of common sense way. Um, so in order to maintain their grasp on society, Democrats, Democrats had to invent racism, invent uh, relentless transgender discourse, uh, invent <laughs> riots, start yeah. riots, start all this polarizing stuff. Literally brought back sixties riots. <laughs> so you, they brought brought back sixties style riots. Um, but something like self-made man reminds you of how kind of sophisticated and uh, humorous and intelligent uh, mass culture was in the 2000s. Um, because, I mean, it's a totally delightful book mm -hmm. and I'd never heard of it until she died uh, either. But she has that um, Polya style uh, sort of like, like witty libertarian voice um you know they have to memory hole all the old lesbians of course because <laughs> they're all turfs yeah um and that'll do and it for the it. free <laughs> yeah 100 percent on episode to listen to the final two hours or so as we shake off the morning Please the sugarcoating didn't exist in 2006. At patreon.com slash so like that, That's why Armenian. no one's heard of this the book. Podcast you turned can't, it could not be one-year-old last week. Not yeah, though, there's I'm grateful to all of you for listening. To the and language I do and spread the word. That in 2006 wouldn't if filthy Armenian adventures has all, touched you. So again, listen to the remainder of our celebration the of Nora Vincent and her remarkable book and her prophetic vision of you know, a feminism for right men. Right now. It seems yeah, all behind no, your paywall. Really. It confront, you're there. confronted reading this book Happy with Halloween. just how much they have deliberately degraded our intellectual culture and everyone's mind. Because it's not 